Hello, and welcome to the Foothills Deeper Pod, a podcast for all of us looking to bring more love and more courage into our daily lives. It is December, friends. Where I am here in Northern Colorado, the days just continue to grow shorter. I have actually had multiple days where I find myself thinking, hmm, it looks like the sun is starting to set. And then I look at my watch and it's only like 2.30 in the afternoon. It's that time of year with so much anticipation, anticipating winter solstice and Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and the new year. It's also a time of so many memories, sweet memories, difficult memories, making new memories. And this universe of holiday memories can become so crowded with our own judgments and projections and hopes and expectations. I mean, who couldn't use a little more love and more courage right now? I'm Reverend Elaine, by the way, I'm one of your hosts. And there is nowhere I would rather be right now than here with you, diving into some honest talk about this time of year and exploring tools for navigating the season and remembering what it's all really about. And the best part is that in this episode we're about to hear, Reverend Gretchen invites us to explore all of this through the lens of memory. Trust me, it fits so perfectly. And it's also the beginning of our December series here at Foothills, Simple Gifts. If you know that memory is a tender spot for you, or if you or someone in your life struggles with memory issues, there is a place for you in this message. In fact, personally, I have returned to this message many times in my head just since Sunday because it offers a hope that feels so grounded and so genuine. So we'll begin uh, in a moment here with a brief and lovely reading from Misha Sanders entitled Too Much of Everything, and then we'll hear Reverend Gresham's message. I'm so glad you're here with us. There they were, 10 preschoolers in suits and fancy dresses, each one holding one letter of Merry Christmas. I know they must have started out the morning with at least 14 kids because their long-suffering choir director would not knowingly drag them onto the chancel to spell out Eri Chimsa in front of the whole caroling congregation. I had gone to church that morning specifically to see Mel, my friend's daughter. She had campaigned for and won the coveted role of the first M for Mel, the one that starts out the whole production, and she was ecstatic about her stage debut. Eri Chimsa, the letters proclaimed. If you looked carefully, you would see that Mel and her M were not actually missing. She was indeed up there at her rehearsed mark, far on stage left, lying prostrate on the floor, gold tulle dress flipped upside down over her face, both fists flung out ahead, the carefully glittered crumpled M unceremoniously smushed into the carpet under her body. Later, she clearly explained, it was a little bit too much of everything. I just needed it to stop for a minute. 
The next time, I will take calm breaths. <laughs> and I wondered if Mel had just solved the holidays for once and for all. There's so much anticipatory joy and more than a little gumption in having the grandiosity to show up for the party in gold tulle in the first place. <laughs> and such self-possessed wisdom in lying down and pulling it over your face when everything is too much. <laughs> and it is too much, isn't it? Sometimes the final days of the unexpected pregnancy find you in a strange place where they tell you there's no room in the inn. In real life, sometimes grief looms largest in December. Sometimes there's one too many dress-ups and the gold tool makes your legs itch. When this feeling hits, it's okay to step back and say, I just needed it to stop for a minute. It's okay to take calm breaths, even if it means the whole production doesn't go as planned. Sometimes I think about my daughter's childhood in three phases. Phase one being the years that she was obsessed with playing Mary in the annual Christmas pageant, but she was definitely too young yet to be selected to be Mary. The second phase was the year she was technically age appropriate to play Mary, and she relished in it when she got the chance, even though I wasn't sure how I felt about my own 14-year-old giving birth in the middle of our Christmas Eve service. <laughs> then phase three, the years when she became too cool to play Mary. So instead, we just tease her about how she used to obsess about playing Mary. We are now obviously in phase three. The annual nativity play at Foothills only became the full annual tradition in my third year here, when Gracie, my daughter, was 10. But by then, she had already had years of longing of, from prior UU churches that had been dedicated to telling that story of Mary and Joseph and the arrival of baby Jesus at one point or another during the month of December. So she knew clearly that Mary was the star. <laughs> Now, we always take time to update our script each year, but ever since that third year, the Christmas Eve pageant is one of the few things in our liturgy that repeats year after year, pretty much the same every year. It's kind of like the ways that every year around this time, you might go see the Nutcracker or a Christmas Carol or... You might re-watch the movie Elf. <laughs> or uh, my son was watching both Home Alones last night. What's your favorite holiday movie that you watch around this time of year? The Grinch? Muppets Christmas Show? The what? Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, that's a good one. Christmas Vacation, oh, that's a classic. I'm into that one. Okay, so all of these, these, these uh, returning to the same thing year after year, it's not necessarily just about loving the story or the songs or the dancing, whatever the thing actually is. Sometimes you actually may, you may realize you don't even love the show all that much or you look back and you go, it's, oh, it's kind of cheesy. 
or even a little problematic. But still, you can't help it. You kind of just love it anyway, right? Because it's not really about the thing. It's about the memories that the re-encounter with that thing brings up in you. You start to think about that first time that you first experienced it, consciously or subconsciously. It just all starts to surround you with that sense of uh, the first time and then every time ever since. The people you were with and the places, the ways you've changed, the way life has changed. Repeatedly re-encountering these memories overall gives you that the same feelings you had over the years. And this is not just about looking back in the past. It can also be a, an experience that helps you look forward in the future. Because when you can rely on a certain rhythm of ritual and storytelling to reoccur at each time every year, it could be a source of anticipation, expectation, and even hope. Memory produces hope in the same way that amnesia produces despair. This is a quote from biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann. He roots his understanding in the Hebrew Bible where repeatedly the good news is that God remembers. Which of course also implies that God forgets. For hundreds of years actually, the Israelites experienced the despair of God forgetting them in their bondage as slaves in Egypt. Until finally, God remembers them and they are free. Memory in the Hebrew Bible functions like a promise. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt, it says. Or remember what the Lord your God has done for you. Remember what has been so that you can know that it can be again. Memory produces hope in the same way that amnesia produces despair. It's always felt important to me that how often scripture says, remember you were a slave in Egypt. It says it a lot, actually, because the impulse might be instead to try to forget that you were a slave in Egypt, right? Because to reverse Brueggemann's assertion and call amnesia a source of hope, because you could release from your consciousness that sorrow of bondage forever. We can sometimes believe that forgetting our painful memories will feel like healing. When really, as Cole Arthur Riley writes, liberation cannot be found by tearing holes into oneself. Our memories are how we come to make sense of ourselves as individuals and as a whole people. We cannot do this selectively, as if life is only sweetness and ease. Healing requires remembering in wholeness, including rescuing memories long forgotten by neglect or intention across generations, and bringing to the fullness the whole story to light. Now, sometimes, of course, the weight of certain memories can be too much for one person to hold. And like the girl in our reading, we would find ourselves face down on the ground with our dress over our heads if we attempted to hold all the memories ourselves, especially the more painful ones. Again, Cole Arthur Riley advises there are many instances when memory is unable to be held onto. 
By age or trauma or lack of revisiting, we can lose track of our own stories, which is why collective memory can become such a gift, collective memory, so that everyone, every single one, need not remember every single thing, nor could they even if they wanted to. But together, across the whole ecosystem of humanity, we can remember and hold the fullness of our stories. All we have been, all we have known, all we've done or haven't done, all we've lost, all we've loved, all we've believed. When the Hebrew people are told to remember, it is always meant collectively and cross-generationally, so that the task of remembering doesn't require your personal experience or witness of the events. Memory, scripture says, is inherited, like a gift. Collective memory is an experience of belonging and identity, a promise that's not just for one, but for all. Collective memory requires that we piece together the fragments of individual memory and behold something not necessarily larger, but with greater depth and color. So again, Cole Arthur Riley says, memories that remain exclusive to a particular individual or even a particular community are at risk of becoming false. When memory endures no scrutiny or curiosity or challenge from the exterior, it can lead to profound loneliness at best. And at worst, individual or collective delusion. Now, delusion is always a potential problem when it comes to memories because we tend to believe our own memories, even though studies show that memory is often better considered what we might call fake news. <laughs> As one example, I have an exercise for you. Ready? I'm going to read a series of words, and your job for now is to just listen to the words. Okay? Sour, nice, candy, honey, sugar, soda, bitter, chocolate, good, heart, taste, cake, tooth, tart, pie. Okay, so for those of you in the sanctuary, you should have a pencil near you and a little piece of paper that, has, that somewhere around you, you should be able to find a pen, paper. Those of you that are online, you can just uh, do this exercise in the chat if you'd like. So grab your pen, paper, and then jot down as many of the words that you can remember from the words I just said. Okay, I got one more list, and for this, you mean you gotta put your pens back down. <sighs> no cheating. Got one more list to read. Looking for your eyes. You're gonna put your pens down. 
Okay, so you're going to listen again. Mad, wrath, fear, happy, hate, fight, rage, hatred, temper, mean, fury, calm, ire, emotion, enrage. Okay, again, you can write down the words or put them in the chat of the words that I've just said that you remember. Okay, let's go back to the first one. Okay, look over the words you wrote and see if the word sweet is there. If the word sweet is there, raise your hand. Okay, look, just look around. Okay, now let's look at the second list. If you wrote the word anger, will you raise your hand? Okay. Just look around. Now, all of you who raised your hand, you're, you're in really good company. Because 80% of the people who do this exercise pick out sweet and angry as words they remember. And by this, I mean you're in really good wrong company. <laughs> because actually, I did not read either the word sweet or angry. <laughs> yeah, you can read. I'll, um, I'll, you can read my script if you don't believe me. <laughs> the third word. Okay, the second list. First list. She's testing me. Okay, sour, nice, candy, honey, sugar, soda, bitter, chocolate, good, heart, taste, cake, tooth, part, pie. pie. No sweet. Nah. <laughs> I know. It's amazing, actually. It's really true. And actually, the, now that I've done this exercise, I did it at the first service, I have to work really hard not to say the word sweet accidentally. <laughs> okay, well, this is one of the many fascinating things about memory. It works by association. You don't necessarily remember facts. You remember feelings and ideas associated with facts. This is what researchers Paul Doherty and Pat Murphy describe as the difference between story truth and happening truth. Happening truth is the bare facts, what happened at such and such a time. Story truth is the story you tell yourself about that truth, the details that you fill in, the version that helps you make sense of the world. Memories include both of these, the things we heard and observed and felt, and also things we hear later. And then also suggestions we hear from others. And then they're filtered through all of our existing stories, the ways we understand ourselves and life itself. So that over time, all of this becomes integrated so that we really can't tell which part is which. And it's all just one seamless memory. How does this make you feel? 
Yeah, psychologist Elizabeth Leftis says, people are often very disturbed by this idea because we feel attached to our remembered past and the people and places and events that we enshrine in our memories because we translate in our minds that these things are ourselves. They are our real selves, our real lives. So if we can't trust that our memories are real, then we wonder if we really can know who we are or what's real at all. It can be very disturbing. And then again, it can also be kind of good news, especially for those of us who experience memory loss or who love someone who experiences memory loss, which is almost all of us these days. Dementia can create in us a painful spiritual crisis, or at least it can if we imagine that we are our memories, and our memories are us. From this perspective, dementia can make us wonder if there is at some point in the forgetting when a person is no longer the same person. Because as the memories dissolve, we wonder if the self dissolves as well. But in this understanding of memory, we realize that we have had all of this backwards. Our memories do not represent a set series of fixed, fixed events that when stacked back to back add up to us. Even a brain without dementia, and even in a brain without dementia, it turns out memories are malleable and constantly under construction. Subject perpetually to what Loftus calls post-event information. So much so that with the right combination of factors, any of us can be completely certain of a memory that never actually happened and completely forget one that did. If anything, instead of our lives being the sum of all of our memories, our memories are the sum of us at any given moment, changing and becoming as we change and become. So that as William Faulkner said it, the past isn't dead. It isn't even past. These are fitting words, I think, for a day when we are celebrating both the release of our congregation's 125-year history book, as well as my own 10-year anniversary of serving this community. Now, when I started my ministry with you, my children were four and six. They were very little. They are now 14 and 17. I think my son might have hit six foot this weekend. Yeah, I was 36. I'm going to turn 47 in a couple of weeks. When I was being considered for senior minister, a number of people thought I might be too young. I was about to turn 40. Sometimes I look in the mirror now and I think, well, by now they pretty much be, must be convinced. <laughs> long haul ministry, like long term membership in a congregation inevitably means that we will see each other age, which on most days I know is a gift. Because it also means that we will grow many memories together. And sometimes, of course, that also means that some of these memories will be painful. In truth, there have been a couple of moments, just a few, 
in the last decade when I have wondered if we have had too many difficult shared memories, if we had gone through too much together, and if maybe a clean slate that would allow a certain kind of amnesia would be better. But each time this thought flashes in my mind, I know immediately two other things. First, that this is a thought that's based mostly on my own fear. And since one of my life commitments is to live out of love rather than fear, I know mostly this thought is wrong. And second, I also know that the way to healing comes not from forgetting, like a, a clean slate would allow, but from careful, intentional, relentless remembering. And that through staying put in a long-term partnership, we have the chance for real change and redemption and rejoicing. Not just in our own memories, but of the memories we inherit. The collective memories of the Foothills Unitarian Church captured so well in our newly published narrative. This book is one way we make space for communal memory. The team, I think they had this in mind when they created the narrative as they made sure to talk to a variety of people with all sorts of different takes on their shared memories and turn to many different sources and they even include a number of first-hand accounts from people who were actually present at different eras and events. Now for some of us as we read this text, this, the whole thing will be entirely new. But for others, it will bring up personal, individual stories and experiences from over those same years. In our collective encounter with this text, we have the opportunity to receive it regardless as an experience of collective memory, which is to an, say an experience of identity formation and belonging, an effort meant for healing and wholeness and a gift meant to pass on values and the love that has anchored who we have been, who we are, and who we yet may be. Now, when I was an intern at the UU Church of Boulder, it was my very first December serving in a church ever. My supervisor and I sat down one day to talk about Christmas Eve, and I had a million ideas of pageantry and innovation, and he declined every single one of them. The gift of the holiday season, he told me, is a very simple re-encounter with a familiar story. Our job is just to let the memories do the work and not get in the way of that magic. It's a magic that happens simultaneously in each person and across a whole gathered community as they each remember their own stories and also their shared experiences in this same place. As it has changed and as they have changed and as this place and this community has changed them. The bitter and the sweet of it all. That's the magic, and that's the gift of this season. Anything else we try to add on, he said, is too much. In these next few weeks, there will surely be moments where it feels like there is too much 
of everything. So when that happens, I invite you to take some good, calming breaths and lean into the simple gift of memory. Allow yourself to encounter once again the ancient stories of Christmas and Hanukkah and the rituals of winter solstice. Watch your favorite familiar movies, bake and eat the familiar treats, sing the familiar carols, and whatever is offered, just allow the waves of memories to come in and out, trusting that memory is meant to be collective. Which means that if a memory comes that is too painful, know that someone somewhere can hold it and you can let it go. Feel the ways that this simple gift of collective memory can be for us a practice of hope, where we remember a past that is still emerging and shifting and offering us still a chance to heal and grow and begin again in love. May it be so, and amen. What a beautiful message, Gretchen. Thank you. And thank you, dear listener, for joining me today. As this episode and as our time together comes to a close, I invite you to keep holding in your mind the image of the little girl face down and dress over her head as a reminder that when things start to feel like they are too much, you can slow way down and pause and simply just be present. Feel the gifts present in this moment and all the memories that fill you up, feel them be enough. The show can wait. Thank you so much for making time to join in this week's episode of the Foothills Deeper Pod. If you have a moment, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. This really does help people discover our show. And if there's anyone in your life who you think would resonate with the big questions we're wrestling with over here, please send them a link, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you joined us.